0: The Gospel text uh, for this third Sunday of Lent comes from the Gospel of Luke again. We are again in the 13th chapter of Luke today, the first nine verses. And uh, if you are with us and able, I'd invite you to stand with me in honor of the Lord's Word once again this morning. Some who were present on that occasion told Jesus about the Galileans whom Pilate had killed while they were offering sacrifices. He replied, Do you think the suffering of these Galileans proves that they were more sinful than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. And what about those 12 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were more guilty of wrongdoing than everyone else who lives in Jerusalem. No, I tell you. But unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. Jesus told this parable. A man owned a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruits on it and found none. He said to his gardener, look, I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree for the past three years, and I've never found any. Cut it down. Why should it continue depleting the soil's nutrients? The gardener responded, Lord, give it one more year, and I will dig around it and give it fertilizer, and maybe it will produce fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Some of you uh, who've been with us the last few years and have gotten to know Deb and I, you know that we, um, you know that Debbie and I have achiever in our top five strengths. Um, I remember when we first took the strengths finder, the life coach or the strengths coach who met with us, the first question he asked was, How do two achievers coexist in the same household? And our answer, I think, was very carefully, but we get a lot done. Um, But in part, because of our temperaments, I think we may have, on our very first date, sat down at the restaurant and um, pulled out a napkin and started the first conversation about where do we see ourselves in 10 years. And for 32 years, we have had that conversation over and over and over and over again. Only lately, uh, now that we're in our mid to past the mid-50s, Um, Now when we start to have that conversation about where do we see ourselves in 10 years, now the the sort of conversation about retirement starts to come in. And now this has gotten really serious, like this conversation about what do we need to be doing right now to do the kinds of things that we hope for in terms of just kind of life and travel and ministry and mission. Like, where do we want to be in 10 years? And and so it's become a really important conversation. So a few weeks ago, we were around the family table I think it was a Sunday afternoon, and we were kind of having that conversation. We were were kind of rehearsing that conversation in front of everybody as a way to tell our children why we're not giving them any more money. Um, (laughs) But we were kind of telling this conversation. We were kind of sharing it around the table, and and my Aunt Debbie, some of you have met uh, Deb Carpenter, who's been with us now for a few months. Uh, My Aunt Deb interrupted, and some of you know my Uncle Steve, my, my mom's baby brother, uh, who was in was a pastor as well was in ministry. Towards the end of his ministry, began to show signs of early onset dementia, a dementia that happened quite rapidly for him. Led to a steep decline, and he passed away just a couple of months ago. Um, but it was in the midst of that loss, Deb interrupted, and with tears coming down her cheeks, she said something I have just I've thought about almost daily since. With tears coming down her cheeks, she said, "Scott, my advice to you guys would be don't wait." Don't wait to do those things that you want to do because there's absolutely no guarantee that those things that you're hoping for and planning for will, will happen. So thanks for that advice, Deb. I've, I've thought about it daily. This morning, in some ways, that's the heart of where this text wants to take us as well. Uh, this season, this Lenten season, is always kind of fascinating to me. And first of all, thanks for being here on the first Sunday of spring break. This sermon really is, it's a hard one today, but it's not so much for you, for you're clearly Christian, it's for the other people who are somewhere in the sun today, and hopefully we'll catch this on the podcast. Yes, I'm speaking to you on the treadmill right now. Hear now the word of the Lord. Um, But but during this Lenten season, it's kind of fascinating. It, It is a season in which we think regularly about death. We gather around the cross, the symbol of death and sacrifice week after week. We begin the season with Ash Wednesday. Many of you who came as part of that service, you come forward not only to receive the Eucharistic elements, but you come forward to be marked by the sign of the cross. And the minister says to you essentially, good to see you. You're going to die. Um, From ashes you came, into ash you shall return. And I think it's a good thing for us, at least for these weeks, to be reminded, and especially in a culture where we largely deny the reality of death on a daily basis and try finding ways of putting that out of our minds, largely. It's good for the church to, for a few weeks, gather us together to say, hey, by the way, you're going to die. For most of Christian history, we actually formed our lives in ways that reminded us of that every week— In ancient churches especially, usually the graveyard was out in the front yard of the church and you had to pass all your dead ancestors on the way to worship. In fact, in many of the most ancient churches, you not only pass them on the way in, you sat on them while you worshiped. Uh, I don't know if you've paid attention to this. Um, At the Cathedral of Notre Dame, as they have been renovating and trying to rebuild, they were doing some excavation in order to kind of rebuild and and create some steady, uh, you know, some pillars uh, they were digging around, and they found like a sarcophagus from the 12th or 13th century. They haven't figured out which yet, but it's quite, quite amazing. But for years, people came and just worshipped on top of their dead loved ones. as um, a reminder that indeed, we at some point will, will join them. The text this morning, Luke chapter 13, is part of the travel narrative, again, of Luke. Jesus, at the end of chapter 9 of Luke, has headed off... And he is um, beginning this journey to Jerusalem. And on the way, he has various encounters. We were in the latter part of chapter 13 last week. And now we go back to the beginning. And Jesus is having a conversation. And they have a conversation about two tragedies. And in some ways, it feels like a a group of people gathering together. And they have their smartphones open. And uh, across Yahoo News comes this flash. Or they say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, have you heard about these Galileans who were killed by Pontius Pilate while they were worshiping? What's up with that? Where is God in the midst of this tragedy? Jesus responds in kind of an interesting way. And by the way, we, we don't really know what event they're referencing. Historians have kind of struggled to find the exact event. But, but from Luke, we can kind of gather that that a group of Galileans were worshiping together, perhaps in a form of rebellion against the empire, perhaps in an area where they had been asked not to have these kinds of gatherings, but they were likely gathering, celebrating the liberation and the hopes that they have that someday Yahweh will come and deliver them once again from Rome the way that they delivered. God delivered them in the past from, from Egypt, from Babylon, from Assyria, that God will deliver them again. And Pilate, who we know from Josephus, had a tendency to act promptly in stamping out these rebellions. It is likely that Pilate sent troops in, and in the midst of worship, these Galileans were killed. And what became sacrilegious in some ways was not just that they died in the midst of worship, but even the language of their blood mingled with the blood of the sacrifices that they were making. And so they asked this question— Lord, what is up with that? Why did these Galileans, why were they killed in this awful, horrific way? And, and where, by the way, is God in the midst of that? Jesus doesn't really answer the question. It just makes it more complicated. He kind of says, yeah, that's terrible. But what about this other situation too? And again, it's hard for us to kind of piece together the historical moment, but Jesus talks about a tower that was likely a place that guarded the precious water supply at the Pool of Siloam. And we're not sure what happened, whether it was somebody tipped it over, or bad construction, or an earthquake, what happened. But the tower that was guarding the Pool of Siloam collapses, and all these other Galileans are killed in the midst of this tragedy. And Jesus asked this question, were were those Galileans any more sinful, by the way, than these other Galileans? And by the way, were they any more sinful than the Galileans or the people who live in Jerusalem today? It's fascinating how often we want to ask that question. And it's an important question. And by the way, 30 years of teaching now, I think it has come up every semester in theology. Somebody will ask some version of the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do these events that often seem so random or so wicked at the hands of others, and we too come today gathered in this moment where cancer and coronavirus and, oh, in this week that horrible accident in Texas, which is the nightmare of every university leader, The, the horror that we see going on before us in Ukraine, we ask these questions, why do these things happen, oh God? And not to frustrate you, but I I have to say the Scripture isn't really interested in getting behind the curtain of that question very much. In fact, Jesus isn't very interested in this moment. He just kind of asked the question, do you think they were any worse than anybody else? I'm not sure sin is the calculation we should make in trying to get at this, basically, Jesus is saying to them. We struggle and, and wrestle with with those kinds of questions. But but what Jesus invites us to to think about is not why do these things happen, but how might God work and participate in the midst of them? And by the way, just I, I've said this to you before, but I want to say it to you again, when people are suffering and struggling Please do not say to them, we know everything happens for a reason. Now, in some situations, that actually may be true, but here's the problem. You and I aren't able to actually get to that reason. And if you think you've gotten to it, just keep it to yourself. For someday when you're struggling, we're going to come to you and say, well, we know this happens for a reason. But Jesus invites us to kind of move beyond that question, but there is a question that really bothers me in the text, or a statement that bothers me in the text. Twice Jesus says to them, you may die just like them. <laughs> you may die just like they have. I, I really don't like that statement, by the way, and he says it twice. I really don't like it. I almost gave the sermon away today because I really don't like it. But it's possible that when Jesus says that to them, he may be saying to them, as he gathers around him, a young group, especially people who are frustrated with Rome, who have a little bit of zealousness to them. Later in the gospel, we see as he gathers in the garden with his disciples, and the soldiers come. One of the disciples grabs a sword and starts wheeling it around. Now, unfortunately, he's not very good with it. Goes for the guy's head, gets his ear. But it may be the case in which Jesus is being quite concerned. As we said last week, these texts come after the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. And he may be saying to them, listen, be careful with these revolutionary tactics. Because it may indeed be that the one who lives by the sword dies by the sword. And you may die in the same way that these revolutionary folks died. But it's more likely that what Jesus is saying to them is this you are going to die too. <laughs> you don't know, as you ask questions about their death, whether you have a whole bunch of days set out before you either. For the kinds of things that you're wrestling with that happen in other people's lives, none of us are immune from. In fact, they may indeed happen to you or to me or to those that we love, those who are nearest. Those things are part of the reality of life, and you too may be impacted by them just as these Galileans were. In fact, there's a part of me that thinks a good summary of what Jesus is saying here. James says, if you have a Bible, turn with me to James 4. It's one of my favorite passages in the book of James. This is chapter 4, verse 13. James says, pay attention You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town. We will stay there a year, buying and selling and making a profit. In 10 years, we're going to be in great places. You don't really know about tomorrow, says James. What's your life? You are a mist that appears for only a short while before it vanishes. Here's what you ought to say. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that and be there in 10 years. It's as though Jesus is reminding them, like we do during this Lenten season, you're going to die. And in that then comes this really important theme that is important throughout all the Gospels, but in Luke in particular, this invitation that says, so don't wait, now is the moment to Repent. Now is the moment to change one's life. Now is the moment to move into transformation. Now is the moment to respond to the things of the kingdom. Don't wait. There's no guarantee tomorrow will come. Do it right now. You don't know what tomorrow brings. So respond in this moment. I think there's something so true about that. But again, I have to say, there's a part of me that is so bothered by that message. And I think I come by this honestly because I grew up in the church. And I went to boys and girls camp and I've shared this with you before, but I'm still working through it. I remember 44 years ago being at boys and girls camp in Texas, by the way, Debbie, in Texas. These things happen there a lot. Um, I'm at boys and girls camp and I remember the evangelist preaching this kind of sermon to us. About you got to accept Jesus. Don't put it off. You got to do it today. Right now, in this moment, we're going to sing eight verses of Just As I Am and come now. Right now. And then I remember he closed with this story. He said, I was at a camp not long ago and there was a little boy about your guys' age who didn't come. He had the chance to come, but he didn't come. And then he went home. I just remember the story so vividly. He went home to his father's farm and he was working in the ditch and he got heat stroke and he fell face forward and he drowned in three inches of water. I have to say, it got me to the altar and later into therapy. Like it, it did both those things for me. As
1: I have to say,
0: Yeah, that may not have been the most graceful way to to, to put it. And it may have been a terrifying and somewhat manipulative way to get us to respond. But there is some truth into what that evangelist was telling us. And it's at the heart of this text. You don't know what tomorrow brings. So why are you putting this off? Respond to the mercy and grace of God. But what kept me preaching this text this week is a shift that happens in verse 6. Jesus says, let me tell you a parable. There's a vineyard owner who owns a vineyard, but in the vineyard he has also planted a fig tree. Now, if, if you're new to the scripture, especially in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as well, anytime you see the language of fig tree, something in your mind and heart should go, oh, bing! For a fig tree is not just a fig tree, although fig trees are amazing and beautiful and they grow this delicious fruit that is so uh, desired by anybody, but especially in first century life. But the fig tree is the symbol of God's people. Later in the text, when Jesus goes to the temple and sees a fig tree, he curses that fig tree because it doesn't have any fruit. And so like it, this parable in Luke, Jesus says there's a vineyard owner who owns a fig tree, this representation of God's people. And it looks good, has leaves, it's grown. But here's the problem, it never bears figs. And it's not any fun to have a fig tree that never gives you figs. And year after year, he comes and there's still no fruitfulness. And so what does he say? He says to the gardener, this is taking up resources. We've been wanting figs out of this tree. Enough. Dig it up. Tear it out. Get rid of it. We'll plant a new tree in. But here's the moment. The gardener says, hey, wait just a minute. Give it one more year. I'll dig around it. Give it a little space. Throw some manure on it. And maybe in a year, it will bear us figs. The reason I find that so powerful is here's all this language about you're going to die. Your life is but missed. Do not delay. But almost as those, those words are out of the Lord's mouth, he then tells a parable about the grace and mercy of God. that rightfully says, I need the fruitfulness of the new creation from my people. And if they're not gonna bear it, let's find somebody else who will bear that. But the voice of the gardener says, there is still the space of grace. Let's give it a year. Let me try some other things. I can't help but love this part. Let's throw some manure on it. When I first moved here, I was driving with a friend through all of these country places here in Idaho. We passed by a dairy, and the wonderful aroma of the dairy found its way into the car. And my friend who's lived here a long time said, Farmers and dairy workers say, you know what that smell is? That's the smell of money. Uh, I almost entitled this sermon this morning, that's the smell of grace. For part of me thinks in this text, if the Lord does indeed give you the gift of more time, that gift of more time actually may come with the pungent smell of grace. Time in which the gardener messes with you a bit. Invite some forces in your life that may cause disruption and upheaval and shakes you out of the complacency that you find your life in. Because more than anything, what this text says to us is God desires God's people to be fruitful in their life. And for our lives, however short or long those lives are, for them to be meaningful and significant and have impact for God's kingdom and be fruitful in the world and be gracious unto others. And whatever the, like a brokenhearted parent or grandparent with a child or grandchild who, who you can just sense is allowing too much time to get by, without moving into the beautiful and fruitful things of life. You, you parents or grandparents who know that tension, maximize it to the God who looks at creation and says, oh, how I long for you to bear fruits. How I long for you to do this. The reason I had Danny read the Old Testament text for us this morning from Isaiah fifty fifty five 55, is that same passionate heart where, where the people of God have moved back into Jerusalem, but God can see that they're already beginning to move their lives and directions away from the fruitfulness. And so through the prophet, the Lord says, why are you investing your resources in life in things that will not give you life? Come, receive the things of life from me, dwell there with me, receive those good things that will bring you hope and a future. But even, even there, the Lord says, but seek me while I still may be found. Seek me while I may be found. Discover the ways that are higher than your ways. And so this morning, I want to say to all of us, as we hear these kinds of texts, I think we actually think oftentimes about the young people in this room when we hear this text, and rightly so. And I want to say to all of you who are young, which is 55 and under, The one who created you so deeply desires for your life to be meaningful and fruitful. And I know when you are young, it feels like you have so many days out ahead of you to decide to lean into the good things of God. And without telling stories about people who drowned in three inches of water, let me say... Even if you're gifted those days, man, looking back, they go really fast. And the invitation this morning is do not waste them. Now is the appointed time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to lean into the transforming things of God. Now is the day to rehabit one's life. Now is the day to get one's roots roots deep down in the things of God so that the fruit of your life is born for a lifetime. And so I want those of you who are young to hear that. But the truth of this text is it's really, in some ways, a text about old people, and that's everybody above 55. About a gardener, about the Lord of the church, who comes to the church that looks somewhat healthy, got nice leaves, take up space, but bear no fruit. Spent your whole life in church and still haven't figured out how to stop making it about you. Still haven't figured out how to grow up and to grow the fruit of the Spirit and to grow the fruit of the kingdom. Thanks be to God, God, That the voice that says, I should just cut them out and plant a new one. The voice of God's grace says, I'm going to keep working. (laughs) Try, Try some manure. And perhaps they too will begin to grow. And so this is not a message just for the young to respond. This is a message for all of us to realize how fleeting our days are. And how gracious our God is so this morning, I would love for us to close in a time of prayer. Um, we sang a song a little bit earlier, Lord, I Need You. And I know over the last couple of years, we, we've, uh, we've gotten out of habits like responding. We've become a people where everything kind of comes to us, and we're not used to having to come to things. I wish I had a little bit of my grandfather in me this morning. My grandfather didn't tell scary stories about 13-year-old boys, but but he would look at you and say, somebody needs to pray, and he knew it was you.
1: Right?
0: <laughs> at least I knew it was me. <laughs> I, was, I was his best customer. Um, I don't have that in me. But the word of the Lord this morning is... Tomorrow is not a guarantee. Our days are fleeting, and our lives matter, and the fruit of the kingdom matters. And so, whether we're 15 or 35 or 85, the Spirit invites us to keep responding. And so if this morning you sense that tug of the Spirit that says, respond, come to me, turn to me, perhaps this morning is a good time to respond to Him. There's lots of ways to do that. One way is to take our body and step forward. and To ask the grace and mercy of God to embrace us and change us and and make us the fruitful people he has called us to be. Some of you who are online with us this morning or maybe listening to this later, (laughs) I believe in a God who can make treadmills holy spaces. Who can make driving in a car to work the place where, this is Paul on the road to Damascus, he can make this the place of transformation. Don't wait. Don't wait. Respond while the Lord isn't here. Lord,
1: I come, I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I'd fall apart. You're the one who guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense. My righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Toby, get me in the right key. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found, is where. With me,
0: Almighty God, I, I believe today the text is not meant to scare us or give us fear. but it is meant to do two things. It is meant to remind us of how seriously you take our lives. What a gift each moment is. What a gift of grace each day and week and month and year is. It is a gift from you. But it's also there to remind us of how deeply and passionately you desire for this gift of life that you've given to us to matter. To matter for you and for your kingdom, to matter in the fruitfulness of our lives, connected into the lives of others. And that that meaning and that purpose is found as we connect ourselves to the mission of your redemptive work in the world. And so we come today, thankful for your grace and mercy. Um, we come and lift some, some of our children and grandchildren, some who are close to us. Um, For our hearts break with your hearts about wasted days and neglected moments. And so we pray that you would work like a gardener, make space, clear away some of the brokenness, Use the best of your fragrant grace of to fertilize growth in their life and response to you. Um, I pray for some young people who are here today or are connected online or listening, for whom this message is an act of your providence. bringing a prophetic word and a word of grace and hope in the right time. But you, O oh gracious God, will not force our will, will not force our response. So I pray today that you would give them the courage to respond to you and to all that you have for them. And I pray for a bunch of us old timers who who've been planted in your vineyard for a long time now. And I know we, your people, can be incredibly frustrating to you, our, our gardener, our vineyard master. Forgive us for all the ways that we just refuse to grow up. We take up space and sometimes even have nice leaves, but we we have not fully learned how to bear the fruit of your kingdom. And so have patience, oh God, today on Nampa College Church. Keep inviting us to respond to you. And may we be a tree that brings you honor. May we be a tree in whom you delight. May the fruit that you help us bear for your name and for your sake. May it make these days and these moments days and moments and years of significance for you and for your kingdom. Help us. Help those who are praying, help those in this room who are lifting their hearts to you, help those who are hearing this message in various places. It is not our work, but it is your work in us that matters. And so make us instruments of your grace and of your kingdom today. And teach us to pray as you taught disciples to pray. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me?
1: our voices together. And I will praise Him. I will praise Him. Praise the Lamb for sinners slain. Give Him glory, all ye people, for His blood can Away
0: Amen. Well, thanks for being with us this morning, both online and here in the sanctuary. Just uh, two or three things before we go. The first is, I know that Ukraine is heavy on, on so many hearts. Um, I want to continue to encourage you, Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, ncm.org backslash Ukraine. You can give online just directly. That's the fastest way for resources to get to Ukraine. Um, If you are a person who is technologically challenged and likes to write checks, um, you are more than welcome to write a check to College Church with Ukraine in the memo line, and we will make sure that gets uh, to Ukraine as well um, and to Nazarene Compassionate Ministries and the work in Ukraine as well. So please help us there. Um, We had a wonderful meeting Saturday with greeters and ushers and some of the folks who help us uh, with security and and other issues here, Uh, but we could sure use a whole bunch more. Um, As we are getting into being able to be together regularly more, we really could use some help in greeting and ushering and uh, in in protection of our little ones and security folks. Um, and so if that's uh, something the Lord would put on your heart, something you'd be willing to be part of a rotating team to be a part of, if you would catch Carrie out in the uh, atrium or email her uh, during the week, we would, love, uh, we would love to have you as part of that team as well. And then just a reminder tonight at six o'clock, we'll celebrate a lot of good things that God has been doing, uh, even in the midst of real disruption and challenge. God has been at work. Thanks be to God. And so come, we'll get to celebrate that together. If you can't be with us, you can join us online as well tonight at six o'clock. So thanks. If you've listened well this morning, the God who has created us desires for us to be deeply connected to God. And for us not just to take up space (laughs) and not even to have some fancy leaves, but for the gift of our life to be given back to God in ways that bring significance and fruit in our lives. And around here, we just call that a sanctified life, a life that thoroughly belongs to him. So may the God of peace himself, may he sanctify us through and through. May our whole being, our spirit, our souls and bodies, may they be kept silent and blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he who called you and he who planted you in his vineyard, he is faithful
1: and he will finish his work in us. And God's people said, amen, go in his peace.